Not long after we were married, it was apparent that God was doing something in mine and Annette's life. I was working for Buckner Children's Home and having a blast, actually, working, being in children's lives that had been abused and hurt and tormented, but yet it was such a, a blessing to serve in that capacity. And yet, my call has always been to the local church. So it wasn't long after that and after we were married that we really began to sense God calling us and drawing us back into full-time ministry. So, and I say ministry, I mean in the church. We were doing full-time ministry, trust me. But back in the church in that capacity. And, but... I had, Annette and I had gone and visited with what's called a director of missions who's kind of over that area in our denomination. And basically, because of my divorce, he, he without knowing any of our circumstances, and he just said, declared with his mouth, he said, you will never serve in a church in the Bible Belt. So how's that for good news and encouragement? And uh, first of all, I walked outside that office and basically dropped those seeds on the ground like, uh, no, no, I'm not planting those in the soil of my heart. And, but I'm telling you, we're talking about the power of words. And we could have easily taken that word of discouragement and just said, then we're not supposed to do this. We'll just go, we'll do whatever else. I'll sell insurance. I'll figure something out. We'll do, I'll go greet at Walmart, whatever. I'll do whatever. Uh, but I'm not supposed to be in church, apparently, because this one man says that uh, he doesn't think I'm qualified. And yet, we felt like we had the word of the Lord on our lives to do that very thing. So what are you going to do? Whose report are you going to believe? Well, we decided we're going to believe the report of the Lord. And so we decided, all right, we're going to press in, we're going to pray, we're going to seek God, and we're going to say, Lord, what do you want for us? And literally within just a short time, we started getting all these phone calls and uh, emails and, and, and people reaching out to us. We counted seven churches in one month reached out to us saying, would you interview with us? Would you consider being on our team? And it was just out of nowhere, and they were somewhat unrelated and, you know, I may have just fallen off the turnip truck, but I still know how the thing works. So I, I realized after about three of those that God was saying, I've got this, I've got you, trust me. And so that's exactly what we did. Well, we ended up getting a call to a church or invited up here for an interview, actually from Lubbock where we were living, but the church was in San Antonio. And it was an up and coming church and things were going and blowing. We knew some somebody on staff there. And so we went to that church, did the interview, felt great about it, but they didn't extend an offer and they were going to, you know, they were going to deliberate and then get back with us. In the meantime, we go back to Lubbock, put our house on the market and some of you are saying, wait a minute, you didn't, you didn't have a job. You're right, we didn't. But what we did have was the word of the Lord. Oh, the room just got really quiet there. So, so we went back, we prayed, we felt like it was the word of the Lord that we were going to go to San Antonio, we're going to serve in that church, even though we didn't have a call. And so we put our house on the market thinking it could take a while. Seven hours later, the house was sold. So there's two things there. We either priced it way low or the Lord was in this thing. You know what I'm saying? So, so we figured it was maybe a little of both. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but we knew right then it was a confirmation. We're supposed to go. So literally, we sold our house. We loaded up the U-Haul or Penske. I don't remember what we had back in the day. We've moved so many times. We've lost count of those things. We loaded up the truck. We moved to Beverly. Right. No, no, no. Come on, come on, roll with me here a little bit. Some of you are slow, but you're starting to get it. Okay, so we loaded up the truck, we moved to San Antonio, and we, a friend of mine who, or of ours who lived in San Antonio got us a house 
unseen, sight unseen. How many of y'all know it could be a scary thing? God better be in this thing is all I got to say. So we show up to San Antonio to move into our house, which we had never seen before. And by the way, this is before, um, you know, cell phones and FaceTime. We're, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking uh, Motorola mobile phones that were the brick. Remember those? They had the long plastic antenna that was basically a lethal weapon. Who needs a gun in your car when you have a Motorola phone, right? They were massive. So, so that was that. I said, we didn't get pictures or anything. We just, the word of a friend saying, I got a house for you. You're going to love it. So we got there. Sure enough, the house is great. We move in. And we're in, ready to go, still waiting for the phone call. But here's the deal. As soon as we felt the confirmation of the Lord, we began to speak out of our mouths the word of faith. We began to declare that that was our job, our position, because I knew it. I mean, after meeting them, I knew we were supposed to be there. We begin to speak it. And when we stepped into what Romans chapter 4 speaks of the nature of God, where he calls those things that be not as though they are. And so we stepped in, call it faith, call it pretension, I don't care. We were going on what we believed in our heart was a word of the Lord. And so by faith, we declared it. So we're sitting in a new house, in a new town, waiting for the phone to ring. And guess what? The phone rings, and they offered me the position, and they said, so when can you start? I said, how about tomorrow morning? I said, we're already here. They're like, what? Remember that? What? Yeah, we already moved here. Wait, we didn't, I know, we're here. Let's go. We hit the ground running in that church, and God did a really amazing thing in that church in a very short amount of time. As the youth pastors of that church, they had barely the makings of a student ministry, and we stepped into that, and within a very short amount of time, that thing just blew up, and God began to move. In fact, out of that ministry has come the executive senior pastor of Life Church, Greg Rochelle's church in Oklahoma, came out of that ministry. So many things happened, and it was all because we felt like God had given us a clear word, and we stepped out on it in faith. And sometimes, believe it or not, as followers of Jesus, hold on to your hats here. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. Believe it or not, that's why it's called the faith. So a lot of times you'll get called into something that you don't even, there's no way do you see the end of that thing. It's like if you've ever gone skiing at Ruidosa and you step off of Sierra Blanca, that main face, if you've ever skied there, when you first step off to go down that hill, you can't see the bottom of the hill because the, it's so steep. And there's a little bit of fear and intrepidation, if you have any brains whatsoever, where you see and go, wait a minute, I cannot see the bottom. But you know what? You know it's down there. And you just go for it. And there will be a time in your life, if there hasn't already, where you'll be called to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're talking about overflow, and a part of overflow is being filled up, so much so that you're filled up with the word of the Lord, and it begins to leak out of you. Last week, we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, nothing to be afraid of, but we need to get to know this third person of the Trinity a little bit better than we've known him and begin to embrace him and have conversations with him and embrace the help that he brings and that he gives. And I'm telling you, when you embrace him, life takes on an adventurous nature. 
And the great adventure begins. So we talked about that last week. This week, we're talking about this simple topic, the power of your words. Did you know this? What you say matters. I got a picture up here, a couple pictures. Maybe you recognize some of these, but uh, let's go ahead. Here we go. How many of you, be honest, have one of these in your house? The old Honeywell still? Hey, those are awesome, right? What I like about them is you can actually get fairly close to what the temperature is, and they're simple. We have, for the first time in our lives, when we bought this house here, we got a Nest. Never used one of those before. I'm afraid that it has an eject button like on an F-15 fighter plane that if I hit the wrong button, I'm out. I don't know. It's crazy. But what's wild about it is that I can actually set my temperature from anywhere. I can be driving on the I-10 and go, oh, no, we left the heat on. Let's lower it. And I can do that via uh, an app because it's hooked up to Wi-Fi. The middle one, how many of you have had a middle one in your house? We've had all of these, by the way. You know, you, you cannot get even close, right? You, you're thinking 70 degrees and it's 75. You're thinking, ah, 69 and it's 63. I mean, there is no way to nail a temperature with that one. It's a guessing game the whole time. But that, that last one, it actually works and it gets really close and it holds it in here. So just different kinds. But here's what these do. These change atmospheres. Whenever I go over and if I was to set or mess with that thermostat on the wall over there, as soon as I kicked it over, you would hear something begin to hum. The system starts to work. And when the system works, it works to do one thing, and that is to bring the atmosphere, the temperature in the room, down to match the temperature set on the thermostat. Let me tell you about the power of your words. That's what we're going to talk about today with this piece of overflow is this. That your words matter. Your words are power containers. Your words change atmospheres. The things we say. Now, we know this in the negative to be true, right? If you're in any kind of work environment, family environment, group environment, and you've got a negative nanny who comes in the room, right? They're the ones who are just mad about everything. I mean, they've had a bad morning. They've had a bad day. They didn't sleep good. They come in whining and complaining. Somebody cut them off on the way in this horrible traffic in Fredericksburg. They've been cut off. A little sarcasm there. They've been cut off, and they're just, oh, I cannot believe it. Uh, you know, a chicken ran out in front of them on Milam. A pig ran out from them on Maine. True stories, by the way, those, both of those. So, I mean, these things happen here, right? One day, my, I get a, a call from Faith. She just learned to drive, and she says, she calls. She says, I'm sitting in my car at, on Maine and Milam, and there's a cow running down the road. <laughs> so, I'm like, honey, we live in Fredericksburg now. So, She's used to Nashville, where it would not be that. It would be a terrace running down the road. You never know. So, so here, you know, it's just crazy, the stuff that happens. And, and you come into that work environment, and you're negative, and you're upset, and you're judgmental, and you're critical, and you're spewing poison out of your mouth. And you're tainting everything that your words hit with, every heart. How many of you have been in an atmosphere where you came in in a good mood? You woke up, hey, God's in a good mood. God's good all the time, all the time. God's good. I'm in a good mood because God's in a mood until you get to work and then somebody just vomits on you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm the only human in the room. And you're like, really? I mean, you're like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. He slimed me. He's just trying to wipe this stuff off because you've just been crushed by somebody's words. We know that in the negative to be true, but let me tell you something. You flip the script on that, our words in the positive change things. We shift 
atmospheres. So listen to the scripture. What you say matters, positive or negative, it matters. Proverbs 18, 21, this may be familiar to some, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now listen to it out of the New Century Version. I like the rendering of this. What you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. But I love that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We actually carry the ability to speak life-giving words or to speak death and poison over people and over situations. Jesus said, we're to bless and not curse. And so life should be coming out of us. That's part of overflow. Here's another part of that, what you say matters. Leak life and speak life. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say, what do you think everything means in the Greek language? Hello, everything. Yes, Greek scholar. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I'm telling you, you should walk in a room and instead of clearing it because of your negativity, you should walk in and people want to hang out with you. People just want to be around you because they know that life is going to come out of your mouth. Hope, grace, mercy, encouragement. You know, the word encourage literally means to inspire courage. So when we encourage others and we speak encouraging words to others, we're literally inspiring them. We're lifting them. The last thing I ever want to be is the guy who clears the room because of toxicity coming out, because my words are tainted with death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's another one. Words are power containers. I'm going to give you some up front, and then we're going to unpack some things. Words are power containers. And in this instance, we see that Jesus stills a storm, not with the waving of a magic wand, not with the laying on of hands, but with words. Now listen to what happens. Mark 4.35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. This is Lake Galilee. Some people call it the Sea of Galilee. It literally is a lake. He says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Verse 36. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. Why? Because Jesus was whooped. He had been ministering and, and giving life, and out. he needed to rest. Remember, he's the son of man while he's on the earth. He's in the flesh. He's a real guy, and he's tired. So he does what anybody, some of you do when you get in the car. He just crashes. So he gets in the boat, and look what happens. They took him in the boat, started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed because they're like, well, Jesus, they're just going after him. And he's in the boat. And look what happens. They get out on the lake, and this is actually very common on the Lake of Galilee because it's down in a bowl, and there's hills all the way around it, and you cannot see storms coming up over on the other side of the hills. So sometimes they'll be on you before you can get off the lake, and this is exactly what happened. So a fierce storm came up. High waves are breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And can you imagine how panicked Jesus was? So next verse, words are power containers. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So let me say something to this. Well, first of all, let's read the rest of it. This is so good. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? This sounds like some of the prayers we pray sometimes because we think Jesus is asleep in our boat. We think heaven does not hear the prayer I just prayed. It didn't get above the roof of my truck. It didn't get above the roof of my house. Heaven is silent. Let me tell you some good news. If Jesus is asleep in your boat, it's not going down. 
You think Jesus would have slept through a storm if he was worried about this thing being over? Oh, wait, no, I have an assignment on a cross, so I better wake up and stop this thing. He has no fear, no worry. So here's the good news. If Jesus is asleep in your boat, you're in a good place. Sometimes heaven is silent, and we get panicky. We think, oh my gosh, nothing's happening. Nothing's moving. It's because Jesus is asleep in your boat, and that's the best place you can be. If you're praying right now and you see no movement, you should say, Lord, thank you for being asleep in my boat because that tells me this thing's not going down. See, it's just a different way of looking at the situation. If he's in your boat, he's with you. And that is the best place you can be. What's a little worrisome is when he comes walking on the water and you got to get out of the boat and go to him. (laughs) Peter did it. The disciples didn't. They're like, we're not getting out of this boat. But Peter wanted to be with him. So he pulls a Forrest Gump and bails out of the boat to go, right? Listen to this. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the waves, silence. The word rebuke literally means to arrest or stop. That's it. But he did it with his words. He rebuked it. It was a command. He rebuked the wind, said to the waves. He spoke to a storm. Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. We were living in Abilene and a horrible storm was blowing up during the spring. We would get that, that southwest to northeast storm fronts coming through, typical central Texas. And, and these were breeding tornadoes right and left. We were watching the radar. You know, the news was saying, hook echo, hook echo here, hook echo there. That's scary stuff. And, and I grew up in Tornado Alley up in, in the panhandle of Texas, so I know what that means. And, that, and there were funnels being spotted all over. And when you pulled up your radar app, it was like dark red. I mean, it was bad looking. And Annette, in her brilliance, says, go out and speak to the storm. And I'm like, really? (laughs) We have neighbors. They already think we're weird. They already think we're crazy. And she said, you go out and you take authority over the storm. So like any good man, I walked out in the backyard going, I'm standing here in a lightning storm about to speak to the storm, and here we go. Now, it was based on an account that we saw that Jesus did, so I just thought, well, I know I'm not Jesus, but the Bible tells me I've been born in the Latin in the Imago Dei, the image of God. It also tells me that I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, so he resides in me. And also where the scripture says, have, the, have faith in God or have the faith of God. If he abides in me, then I have the faith in God and I have faith of God right here. So maybe I can access that. Maybe I can tap into that. And again, this has nothing to do with me. It just has to do with tapping into whatever it is and what Jesus already paid for. So I stepped out in the yard. I've never done this in my life. I'm not going to lie. I was a little self-conscious because I'm looking for neighbors going, okay. Because our neighbors, we're typical West Texans. When there's a tornado, what do you do? You step outside and look for it, right? You don't go to a cellar. You don't get in a closet. The men folk go stand out in the yard and look. Hello, we have any men in the house? You know what I'm talking about. Why be in a closet and get killed when I could be standing out there and get killed? So we just go, look, we want to see what's about to kill us. So I step out, I'm looking for neighbors. I know men folk are standing out on their porches and nobody's out there. And I just, by faith, I just lean into this. Listen, I said it a minute ago. Sometimes you have to walk by faith. And let me tell you something. If you want to live a dignified Christian life, you're not going to live a Christian life. 
If it's all about dignity for you and all about, about you looking good to the world, oh my gosh, read the Bible. <laughs> Paul says, we're fools for his sake. We're fools. And I'd rather be a fool in the kingdom of God I mean, we're fools for his sake. So there are things that we will be called upon to do and stretched into that if you want to get closer, want to grow more, want your, your faith capacity expanded, you have to do some things that will appear foolish in the natural. And so be willing to say, you know what, God, even if this doesn't work, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we don't make it, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow and serve you even if God doesn't rescue us. It's that mentality of all or nothing. Sometimes you'll be called upon to step out in an all or nothing thing. So I stepped out, I prayed. I expected the sky to part and the moon and stars to come out. That didn't happen. Lots of lightning, lots of wind, but here's what happened. Nothing. No hail, nor tornadoes. The storm dissipated. Now, did that happen because I stepped out there on Annette's faith and did it, they went after him. <laughs> did that happen because I'm so bold as a lion? No, I don't know. And I don't even have an answer to that. But let me tell you something. I'm willing to hang that out there to say we need to not be afraid. We need more courage to step out and begin to speak to things. Jesus spoke to a storm. He had to be a little annoyed. He was woken up out of a deep sleep, probably dreaming about the kingdom. And look what he says to him on the heels of that. They say, teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the waves, silence be still. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was a great calm, but he wasn't done. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? You know, fear is negative faith, right? It is the exact opposite. There is no faith in fear. None. And so he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's saying that because they had just watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle. They'd watched skin that was leprous, which actually rots off body parts, completely restored. They'd watched the lame walk. They had seen miracles. They saw thousands fed with a, with a, a Long John Silver's fish and chips dinner. And they saw thousands fed from just one. They had seen miracles. He says, are you still, do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They ask each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. You know, that's a good question. Who is this man? Who is your Jesus? What is your image of Jesus? Before I go any further and tell and uh, read another story, I want to I look at something. In fact, if you look up on the screen here, I've got a couple of images here. There. So over here, we have flannel graph Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm not making fun, but listen, if that's where your image of Jesus stopped at seven years of age, we need to move forward. But a lot of people, their image of Jesus is that, that Jesus on a flannel graph or that, the, with those little sheep around him, and, and he's always standing there with his arms open, floating off the ground. But that's some people's image of Jesus, almost a cartoon. Here's another very religious image, and you see this one, and this is the, the, the heart, the uh, sacred heart Jesus. And this is a religious image that you see in all kinds of churches and places and on walls and homes and, and restaurants. I've seen this, but this is another religious image of Jesus. He's standing there with his hands up. Do you notice that? That's what the Pope does. That's the Pope sign. Notice? 
You'll see it in a lot of the Renaissance art and the older art. When we were in Europe and we went to the Notre Dame, all of the art had Jesus and he always had the two fingers up. He had the hand up because he was doing the sign of the cross like the Pope. Now, the next one. This is more my style and more my image of Jesus. First of all, he looks like a rock star. You know what I'm saying? He looks amazing. But here's the deal. A guy named Michael Belk, a number of years ago, I was working for Dave Ramsey in Nashville, we'd bring in different people to speak at our weekly devotional. Michael Belk came one time. He's an artist, he's a photographer, and he set out to do a project where he wanted to set up scenarios and stage photographs of Jesus as though he would be in our world today. And so he hired this really cool looking guy to play the part of Jesus. And he did a series of photos. Here's what I encourage you to do. Google Michael Belk. You should. There's some amazing art. And if you're interested in getting maybe a different view, a different image in your sanctified imagination of Jesus and using that to see him, what might he have looked like today? And there's some really powerful and controversial images. And you should look at them all. They're powerful. Um, so this is one of my favorites because it shows Jesus out ahead of this family whose car broke down and he's carrying their baggage. Oh boy, is that a metaphor? You know, he's still carrying our baggage. You get that, right? Some of us are packing a lot of Samsonite, but he carries it well. Amen? So your image of Jesus as you read the scriptures will actually play into how you interpret the scripture, how you see it. You know, is he the one that's mad at me? Is he the one who's, who's angry? Is he disappointed in me? I'm reading a book by David Brenner right now. One of the things he does, when David Brenner, who's a PhD psychologist, goes to speak with different audiences, he asks this question. He says, here's what I want you to do. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you this question? How do you think, what do you think God thinks about you when he thinks about you. First thing that comes to your mind. He surveys his audience. He said most times, most people in any given audience, their first word is disappointment. That their image of God, their image of Jesus, their image of the Holy Spirit, the, un the Trinity is that of disappointment with me because I never measure up and I'm not worthy. Or, or it's anger. He's angry with me because I failed, I've fallen short. No doubt when I asked that, some of you defaulted to that. Okay, no condemnation here, but we need to fix that. We need to, we need to have our mind renewed to understand he's crazy about you and on your worst day, you can't get away from him. He loves you that much, amen? So what is your image of Jesus? So I want to show a, maybe a little more realistic Portrait and understand that first of all, Jesus is a real person. He did not levitate everywhere he went. He walked in real dirt. He got real dirty. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He had to hang out in Bethany at Mary and Martha's place and Lazarus, his best friend. He had to do what you and I do because he was the Son of Man and he was in the flesh while he was on the earth, right? So I want you to get that in your mind as we go forward. One more story, and it's this, simply this, speak to your mountain. We've got to learn to speak to the mountains that are in front of us. Anybody have any mountains in front of us? Anybody have something in front of you that's daunting that you're thinking, if God doesn't show up, that's not moving. And there's no way I can go over it. How many of you, just be honest, I've got some stuff I need help with. Come on, be honest, be straight up. Come on, we're no perfect people, remember? Okay, all right, so listen to this. 
Mark chapter 11, the next morning as they were leaving, this is Jesus and his disciples, they were leaving Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus because they had been hanging out and they had been in Jerusalem, but Bethany is like a suburb of Jerusalem. It's just right outside, and that's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. He was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. So he finds a fig tree. It's got leaves on it, but no fruit because it's out of season. No harm, no foul, right? Well, maybe not. Look what happens. Then Jesus said to the tree, now he's all right. We know he spoke to a storm. Now he's speaking to a tree. Look what happens. May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. So Jesus speaks to this out of frustration or whatever. He speaks to it. And then look what happens. Now we're going to skip forward to verse 20. And now we're back the next morning. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and said, or exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Now, if you expect me to whittle some deep theological truth out of that, I'm not that guy. I read that and I go, hmm, here's what it says to me is that Jesus is the only one who can expect the impossible out of a given situation. That's as deep as I get on this. He expected the impossible out of the situation. And listen, the one who created the spinning ball that we live on can expect the impossible out of your situation. And he's the only one who can demand it. He demanded that out of the fig tree. Now look what happens. Verse 22, so Jesus answered and said to them, now he's moving on, he says this, have faith in God. I mentioned this a minute ago, but Young's translation says, have the faith of God. It's the same, in God, of God. If he dwells in you, you have the faith of God in you. Amen? How about you? That's good news. That means that faith is not dependent on me, it lives in me. But I've got to learn how to access it and appropriate it. Have, the faith in, have faith in God. Have the faith of God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. This sounds pretty bold, doesn't it? Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. How does that strike you? Here's the thing. That's the good news. The bad news is that a lot of us have what we've been saying. A lot of us have what we've been saying. Most of us put ourselves down so terribly. It's horrendous what we say about ourselves. I'm too thin. I'm too fat. I've got too much cellulite. I need this. I should be better. I'm no worth. I'm worthless. I don't measure up. I don't fit in. I get sick this time every year at the same time. And guess what happens every year at the same time? You have what you say. You have to understand, God, we may not think words are very powerful, and in our culture where words are throwaway things on a Facebook page, we may think words are no big deal. Everybody's spewing words. Everybody's got, a, got an opinion. But let me tell you something. We may not take them seriously, but God does. Because he created the ability to communicate, and he means it to be used well. And we may not take it seriously, but he does. So much so that he created the world with words. 
And God said, and it was. And God said, and it was. And God saw, and it was good. He created the world with words. He cut covenant with words. Jesus parted the sea. The, the sea was parted. Everything that happens, Jesus, Abraham, David, you see throughout the scripture that words carried power and authority. A lot of us have what we say. My dad was a train wreck. My granddad was a train wreck. I'm going to be a train wreck. Or we take the words that have been spoken over us and we receive those and we take them like seeds in our hand. And when you're seven, you can't interpret what's been said to you, even if it's a lie. And they get implanted in our hearts, even from an early age, and it tortures and torments us for years until somebody comes along and says, you don't have to live with that. Jesus took care of that. You just don't know it yet. A lot of us already have what we say. We know this works in the negative. Now we need to flip the script, get life on our tongues, and begin to speak life, begin to speak grace, begin to speak mercy, begin to speak hope into our world. And like a thermostat on the wall, set the temperature for the atmosphere that you're in and watch the system work. Listen to the hum in the air as God begins to orchestrate things to bring it to pass. Listen to this. It says, says to the mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. And then this, Mark eleven twenty four. therefore, he's saying in conclusion, in other words, therefore, and this is what it's there for, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I'm going to tell you what that means in just a moment. So to land the plane with this, I want to summarize, making it real for real life because faith works in real life. God did not give us theology that's theoretical in nature just so we could have a good Bible study and go home unchanged. He gives us this so we can say, Lord, how does this apply to my life and what can I do? How can this shape me? How will this change the way I live this week? How will it change the way I engage the waiter or waitress at the restaurant I'm about to go to? How will this change the way I engage my spouse, my children, my coworkers, my boss, the, those that I employ, how will this change me? And that's the question we should be asking. So here it is, making it real for real life. Number one, what you say matters, positive or negative. Our words are explosive. Your words are power containers, and they literally change and shift atmospheres. Your mouth is like a thermostat, and you set the temperature of the room. Faith is practical, not theoretical. It works in life. And here's one. This is what I want to go back to the last scripture we, we showed. Courageous gratitude. And I wrote here, before the answer, before the result. Look at the scripture. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What that means is give thanks before you see the manifestation of what you prayed for. I've been praying for my dad for years. I don't risk saying that online because he's not watching this. But I've been praying for his salvation, that he would come to Christ and be transformed. And he hasn't yet Notice my language. But I thank God that he's working and that it's going to happen before he passes away. When I show up to his funeral or do it, I won't be at the funeral of a lost person. 
Why? Because I believe that God's will for my dad is to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So when I pray and declare the will of God, I trust that it's going to come to pass because he watches over his word to perform it. It will not return void, the scripture says in Isaiah 55. And so I stand in the authority that God's given me as a son of God, and I say, in the name of Jesus, I declare my father will be born again. And one day, we will worship together. One day, it may not be on this side, but one day we'll stand together and worship. And I can do that with absolute confidence. And I say, Father, thank you and praise you that you're working on this. You've orchestrated events. There are people sharing their faith with him that I know not of. You're working in his heart. Show up in his dreams. Whatever you need to do to bring him to faith, do it, Lord. And I thank you in advance. I thank you that you're already doing it. What we have to do is get in the mindset that we walk by faith and not by sight, and we begin to thank him with courageous gratitude. There are days that I don't feel forgiven. There are just days when I have, a, I have a flesh moment when I'm driving, somebody pulls out in front of me, and I go all road rage on them. Chicken makes me veer off the road on my lawn. I'm here to take somebody out. Ah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when that happens, I don't feel very good about who I am. I don't feel very spiritual. Some of y'all don't know this about me. I wasn't raised in church, so there's sometimes words that slip out that just stuff comes up. I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. Blast from the past, and I'm sorry you were there. You know, I'm just like, I, but I, I'm not perfect. I'm in a process, but I'm not there. I, I'm not there, but I'm thankful I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not there yet, so we're in this process. And having done that, there are days when things happen, and I just say, oh, I can't believe I did that or thought that or said that or, Lord, I'm so sorry. And then I feel dirty. I feel like Bill Murray. I feel slimed. I feel slimed by my own sin, my own depravity, my own weakness. And you know what I have to do? And the Holy Spirit reminds me, because I grabbed hold of this a long time ago. I begin to say, Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that your grace is enough and that your power is perfected in my weakness. Thank you that when I'm weak, you're strong. Thank you, Lord, that let the weak cry out, I am strong. You know what that is? That's a imperative from the Bible, let the weak say, out of the jewel, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak what? Not think, but say, I am strong in your weakness. You begin to declare, thank you, Lord, that I'm strong. Thank you that I'm free. Thank you that I'm free when I'm not feeling or acting free, but I thank you for freedom. Thank you that it's for freedom that Christ has set me free. And what I do is I get the word of God on my mouth, in my lips, and I begin to declare truth in the face of of what looks like untruth. You know what it does? It changes my own attitude, my own atmosphere, shifts. Courageous gratitude before the answer, before the result. Presumption, maybe. Faith, probably. Yeah. And here's the last thing. And I send you out with this. Speak life. Can we get life on our lips, life on our mouth? Can we just, I'm not talking about flattering people. I'm talking about just, Lord, from my core, would you give me life to speak to somebody? Because remember this, never forget this. Jesus died for you so he could give his life to you. So, and here's the good news, so he could live his life through you. Just get out of the way. Say, Lord, through me, love people. Through me, lift up people. Through me, encourage people. Through me, you do what you need to do. Through me, you live out the Sermon on the Mount because I'm not doing a very good job of it. 
but through me, you can. Speak life, church. Leak life, church. Let's declare his praises and declare his goodness and speak to your mountains and never give up because Jesus is asleep in your boat and that's a good thing. Amen.